Hi everyone, Josh and Ryan here. Welcome back to the Supercent Podcast, the personal development podcast hosted by the youngsters for once. Research shows if you put a hundred random people in a room, somewhere amongst them, there'll be just two truly incredible, inspirational people who are living their lives to the fullest. In this podcast, we bring those exact people to you week in and week out. Join us on our journey as we learn the secrets, routines and dreams of the two percenters. Today, we are joined by Ams Nova. Ams is part of the 2019 cohort of the New Entrepreneurs Foundation and is working at one of Europe's fastest growing startups, Tessian. He is a traveller, leader and all-round lover of life. It's a great episode diving into his life, how it relates to 2% mindset. We, of course, have the word association game once again with some really intriguing answers. And then we dive into a Reddit question and hear how Ams answers Charlie's question on self-awareness from last week. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the 2% Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ams Nova. So welcome, Ams. Good to be here. Hi, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. So what we want to do then is for you to give us one minute kind of bio rundown of who you are, all that, all that jazz, and we'll kick off from there. I always find the elevator pitch a bit weird, just because <laughs> by virtue of the fact that I've done, I have a very non-linear path to how I got here, but I'll give it my best shot. Yeah. Um, so like yourselves, I'm, uh, I went to university at Loughborough, um, doing a course called Computing and Management there. I met, you, I believe, both you and Josh through Inaxis, which is a leadership development organization where we build social enterprises, and I've done that for the past seven years in some way, shape or form. And through that, I realized that while I really love business, I also really love having an impact in, in the community and, and actually making a difference. Um, off the back of my degree, I ended up in a job somehow in corporate KPMG, um, which was fantastic by all means. It's a great company and it was a great job, but uh, it's not the kind of person that I am. Um, and I'm sure we'll dig into that a little bit later. But while working at KPMG, I ended up with a spinal injury, ended up quitting my job, starting my own business, traveling for about a year and a half, and have somehow found my way into one of the fastest growing startups in Europe. So there's a lot of stuff that I'm cutting out on that journey, um, but it has been a very exciting one. I'm excited to dig into it today. So let's go and start at the beginning. So straight after graduation, what were you up to? And did you go straight into KPMG? Or was that a grad offer that you had in place? Or Yeah, so... I actually did my placement at KPMG in their consulting function. And so okay. I think as with almost everyone on placement, as you get to the end, you're sitting there counting down the days thinking, I can't wait to go back to university. Uh, not least because, you know, it's a pound of Jagerbomb versus uh, one for eight in Canary Wharf. But um, <laughs> I, I left and I said to myself that I had this realization just waiting for a lift at work once. Um, and it's there are people in this building right now that unless they do something to materially or drastically change their lives, will do this for the rest of their life. That was something that triggered me to say, actually, is this what I want to be doing? Um, and the answer to that question was no. So I, I went back to university and by getting way too busy, I didn't actually end up applying to anywhere else. So uh, when I graduated, I sat there unsure about what I wanted to do. I had an offer for a placement job from KPMG with pressure from a little bit of pressure from my parents. I decided, you know what, this is the sensible choice. That's what you're told, right? You grow up, um, you start when you're young and they say, go do your GCSEs and go to your A-levels, then get a degree, then go get a job in a nice place. Yeah. Um, and so I was following the, the path that was set out for me by essentially my parents who did 
um, verbatim exactly the same thing. Um, and so I ended up going back um, to KPMG, which is fantastic in your final year of university. You don't want stress about where you're going to end up. But it wasn't fantastic because it wasn't the course for life that I was designing for myself. I was just walking down a path uh, with no strategy whatsoever. Um, so that's sort of how I ended up in that consulting space. That's something that Josh and I can definitely identify with because it's a, it's, it's a position that we're not too far away from ourselves coming back from our placements, myself in July and Josh a little bit later, and then going back to Loughborough in, in October. So it's definitely something that, that we can identify with. And it's really interesting that that's something that with hindsight, you can look back on and say, this was kind of always going to happen. Hmm. But how did you get to that point of going, right, this is enough now? So I ended up at this realization a little bit, a little bit through happenstance. So I always knew, and while I was at KPMG, I was planning my escape route um, almost. I got to the point almost where I used to sit there and I was floating this with my best friend saying, you know what, I would rather than wake up five days a week, not looking forward to the day and wake up on a Friday or a Saturday and think, yes, it's it. That's not a good way to live life. And I remember floating it with my best friend um, saying that I would almost rather have a job in Subway um, and work there part time enough money to pay rent and live and do my own thing than spend a significant portion of my life doing something that honestly I don't care about. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's very easy to have that mentality, but you know, intention doesn't necessarily equal action. Um, and it was only through happenstance. And when I say happenstance, I had a spinal injury that forced me to reevaluate very, very quickly. Um, I crushed two discs in my spine in a, in a gym injury, um, some malfunctioning equipment. And uh, I was off work for six months. And when you have that much time and you can't really walk um, and you're confined to a very, very small space with limited human interaction, you're left a lot with your thoughts and you're left a lot to reevaluate what it is that you want. And so I use that as a springboard and say, I'm not living my best life. I'm not living the, the life of the 2%. And so I, I took some time to reevaluate and drastically altered uh, my trajectory. So do you think if you didn't have that spinal injury, you wouldn't have made such a drastic change to your career path? It is very hard to say. Like I, I can sit there and say I was planning it in the same way that, you know, when you're a student, you are planning to do your laundry for two <laughs> weeks at a time before it actually happens. Like, I'm sure it would have happened eventually. Um, but does it happen in a way or in a timely manner that you don't look back at it and say, you know what, I spent too much time there. Um, it's very difficult to say, but having the benefit of hindsight is very, very useful. And I find that when I talk to people in similar situations now, so uh, my pseudo sister, who I used to work with in Enactus, I uh, used to lead their Aston team. Um, I spent a lot of time convincing her not to come out of university and go straight into a corporate job. I think, Josh, you did this very recently as well, but taking some time out to, to reevaluate or just when you're not constantly, I know there's a lot of stuff that just keep moving, just keep hustling, keep grinding. But unless you stop and take check of where you are every now and then, it's very easy to lose track of where you want to be. Um, so. Yeah. But say, say that injury didn't occur, though, for, so for just for normal people, how do they get that breathing space in the modern world um, to have a think when, when realistically there's constantly demands for them to work or study uh, on the next chapter? I don't think that's the right question. It's not how do people find the time? The time exists for everyone. Um, I think it's the efficient deployment of that time. I think as any student that has work and exams and coursework, 
what that actually means is you do a couple of hours a day. The day there are 24 hours in a day. You sleep for like nine if you're being very very conservative, <laughs> um, and you eat. There there is a lot of time, and I think that most people doing work and thinking and reflecting is not easy work. A lot of people don't do it, um, but it's actually taking considered amount of time to sit there and think about where am I now, where do I want to go, am I on am I on part of the course? Yeah, I mean this notion of compound progress is something that is really you know, coming from compound interest mm. is really important I think to developing personally on, on your terms and thinking that actually if you want it enough you can do five minutes a day ten minutes a day an hour a week mm. and that will just build up to, to get to where you want to be just to pick up on what just said and just add to it a little bit the notion of kind of the security that a corporate job might offer mm -hmm. As you say, a lot of people will be in that space for a long, long time, have show a lot of loyalty to companies and be rewarded well for it. And it's a path that a lot of people follow. But I feel that you've come to a similar realization that a lot of people come to mm. a lot later in their careers. A lot of people get to a stage where they might be coming to the latter part of their career and then they might say, OK, I'm going to go be a freelancer now. I'm going to take that, take that leap. But you've done that within what your first year of being in, in that space yeah i think it's an interesting one like uh, there, there are forced realizations but i mean the way that i look at it is almost you can go into a cushy job right people companies don't reward loyalty uh what they reward is value added and you know by virtue of being there a longer time you would have added more value but it's almost like moving around we live in a world where you don't have to be in one job you know my parents came in my dad started anderson consulting back when it was you know a fledgling company and he's been in the same company now accenture for the entirety of his career and because of that he's like worked his way up but that's not the way that we do it at the moment yeah um you can add more value by virtue of having more experience um, and it's something that I saw at KPMG and I was actually invited back to their entertainment space um, the other day for an NSPCC event. And I talked to one of the partners that I used to work for. And he said to me that increasingly companies realize that they can't retain top talent by siloing them. And they are actually encouraging people that work in the consultancy space, just to take an example, to branch out into industry to go into a new job or a new sector to build up their networks and their life experience and then come back at some point um when they were when they realized that you know consultancy can offer them this or a little bit of freedom or some training or etc and then rinse and repeat um and that's increasingly i think the common wisdom nowadays is you there isn't a linear path to where you want to go um but the more experiences that you can build up um, and the faster that you can do so the better off um, you are later on in life. I think the, the idiom is your 20s are for learning and your 30s are for earning. Um, and I think that, that that holds very, very true. Yeah. Okay, great. So talking about uh, non-linear path then, so your path has led to one of, as you said, the fastest growing startups in Europe. Tell us a bit about that. <laughs> so the journey there was, I mean, I made it sound like I went traveling, I came back, I got a job. The, that, that, that's an oversimplification of what actually happened. I remember yes, being yeah. out in, in Asia um, in a bar and I met somebody by happenstance who grew up in Leicester two streets down from me wow <laughs> um, so we we became good friends by virtue of you know there's not a lot of English people um, on a on a coastal island off Indonesia somewhere and so we spent a lot of time together and he was telling me about how he had been traveling for the better part of a decade 
and just been hopping the world, traveling from country to country, getting bar jobs, just making ends meet, which is a way to live your life. And again, it's a stark contrast to what we're taught is the route to a happy and fulfilling life. But he he'd just come back from a stint for three years in Canada and he was telling me about um, how it's it's very, very different to hear culturally. Um, and it, it was something that he thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and I'd had a couple of pints and I thought, you know, that's fantastic. I'm running out of money in Asia. I want to go to Canada now. So I applied for a visa, um, which is sort of like a green card lottery, not thinking anything yeah. of it. <laughs> three weeks later, they said I had one um, and I had a year to move to Canada and I had a three year traveling work visa. So I came back from Asia, came home, told my mom who her response was absolutely not. <laughs> and it was only because I, I was hell-bent on it. I got the visa. I did all the checks. I paid the fees. I just had to go. I had to arrive at yeah, Canadian yeah. airport and I was there. But by virtue of being in an actus um, and something that, you know, I joined accidentally. Yeah. Um, and I ended up sitting on the board of the alumni as the head of marketing. And I worked with a woman called Ranj, who was the vice president of the board at the time. And she, she sent me a message saying, I'm now uh, the head of community and talent at New Entrepreneurs Foundation. I think you might like it come and give it a go and so I did I rocked up um, and when I was there I met some incredible people it's sort of the first time you walk into an enact national competition you yeah. look around and you're like oh wow everyone here is actually on the ball it was like that with with Nash and so I applied to the program and I got on and I I I would probably get murdered by them if I ever admitted this publicly but here we go um, I completely misunderstood what the program was. I thought you worked for a couple of months, earned some money and then started your own business. But it's not. You do 12 months in a company yeah. while building your business. And I managed to get through their entire the interview center. process yeah. and wow. and get onto this program without understanding what it was. And it was only <laughs> the first day of orientation I showed up and they're like, right, this is how it works. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so lack of due diligence on my part or maybe a little bit of serendipity. Anyway, through them, I met Tessian who at the time were quite a, quite a small company. I think there were 40, 50 people there. They had just closed their Series A round of funding. Um, so they were on a trajectory that was good. And it seemed to sync up with what I wanted to do. Small company, growing quickly, the opportunity to make an impact and really be a driving force behind the growth engine of a company. So I took the job. Um, and since being there, we've, you know, nine months after our Series A, we closed our Series B at the beginning of this year. Our headcount, we now have about 120 people. We've opened up an office in the States. Um, I'm starting to build my own team. And it's the kind of stuff here that although very, very literally I was thrown into accidentally, unaware, yeah. didn't know what was going on or how I got there. But I've ended up in somewhere that right now I think is absolutely perfect for me. So what is that? business that you are attempting to run alongside Tessian? So at the moment, I'm actually not. So through the New Entrepreneurs Foundation, it's sort of like an accelerator, but instead of an accelerator for business, it's an accelerator for the people that create businesses. Right. So we have access to mentors, coaches, funding, uh, training sessions, the whole, co the whole caboose almost. And so the aim is, and I went in fully expecting to start my business this year. And it's an interesting one because it's not what I thought I would be saying uh, eight, nine months into the program. But starting a business, and I, I now go back to universities and I, I lecture around this, but starting a business is very, very difficult. Nine out of 10 businesses fail, but these are from adults committed to it full time with life experience and networks under their belt. Being young and starting a business is inherently risky. That's not to say that you shouldn't do it. But while at Tessie and I took a, I, I had to sit back 
and I had to ask myself, why is it that I wanted to run my own business? What was it that appealed for me? It's hard. It's not, I don't have to answer to anyone because you answer to your employees, you answer to your customers. It's not because you get to live life on your own terms. You end up working 50, 60 hours a week. So what is that driver? And for me, there were three things that I fell back to. Um, the first is accountability. So I wanted to feel like I was the master of my own destiny. There was impact. I wanted to feel like stuff that I was doing was actually making a difference. When I go work at corporates with KPMG, um, I'm a small cog in a very, very large machine. And ultimately, if I wasn't there, I would be replaced by another small cog very, very quickly. That's not impact. And last one is responsibility. I wanted to be able to do things that or be responsible for things that people my age shouldn't be responsible for. And those I figured out, or at least right now, are the drivers behind me wanting to do that. And I said that in my interview process at Tesla. And I was like, this is what I want from the job. If you give me that, I will stay. Um, and that's what they've given me. And I, at the moment, I am completely incentivized to stay. I love what the company is doing. Um, and I love the amount of accountability, responsibility, and impact that I get to make on a daily basis. And so I feel no compulsion right now to start my own business. I am essentially running my own business within within that company. Yeah. So picking up on those three, accountability, responsibility, and impact, how does that fit into Tessian's vision? I mean, tell us a bit more about what the company does and how they were able to give you that. So Tessian's an interesting company because it's quite hard to explain without throwing out a load of buzzwords. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. So Tessian is a company now backed by Sequoia. Um, for those who don't know, these are the guys that back Cisco, Facebook, Apple, Google, um, big, WhatsApp. Big so, capital company. Yeah, yeah, one of the, the top tier uh, venture capital firms in the world. What we do is we protect people from threats executed on computer networks by people. And what that means is um, people every day on laptop, you see companies that fall for spear phishing attacks and lose millions of pounds. You see people stealing data um, and selling it on. And I think it's something like that happened in the NHS. Some guy stole something like half a million patient records and sold it on the dark web. Or you have something as simple as people sending data to the wrong place accidentally. All of this stuff, while trivial, and I didn't realize it when I was a student, but this can add up to millions and millions of pounds of financial implications, regulatory implications, trust nowadays when people are ever more considerate about their data. So testing is a platform that protects people from threats executed by either themselves or other people. And we do that by using machine intelligence, artificial AI, cybersecurity. So there's the buzz the buzzwords words around yeah. it. Um, <laughs> it's almost as if I clicked a random word generator for a TechCrunch article and just pumped out that. But how, how do they give me what I want out as a company? Um, so when I joined, there weren't a lot of people. I joined in the first day into their new offices. And I remember getting there and I think, you know, I came from a corporate environment with, you know, ergonomic chairs. Um, everyone has their own assigned desk. There's a canteen to this completely open plan office. There is nothing in there bar a couple of desks. We all have our MacBooks. There's even the furniture wasn't there yet. Yeah. Um, except the ping pong tables. The ping pong tables <laughs> were there. That is that was that was a priority. I understand the move in. But since I've been there, this office, we've now, we have at least another year and a half. We're going to outgrow it in, we moved in nine months ago. We're going to outgrow it in about a month or two. Wow. We yeah. have hired, since I have been here, over 60, 70 people opened a new office. And by virtue of being there longer, like you're almost one of the most experienced people in the company. As you add people to the bottom of that company, you inherently move further move up. up. Yeah. Um, and so I started off 
doing very, very small things, as you do in any company. Like you, you sit there and you make things work. I have my day job, which is you know make sure customers are happy um, and make revenue for the company. Um, but now I have an entire sector. I'm figuring out how to grow revenue in any sector that's not legal and financial. We've recently onboarded two new people, and I'm working with them to upskill them and ramp them up. Um, and then I'm building out my own sector. So when I start adding people into that as well, I end up leading that that charge. On top of that, I get to overhaul reporting. It's it's one of those companies where you have an idea and you pick it up and you run with it. I was in Dublin the other day meeting some of my clients um, and I floated as a joke the idea to throw an event in Dublin. I came back and I said to my manager and he's like, yeah, go off and do it. Here's the budget. It, yeah. <laughs> um, and like two weeks from now, I'm going to be in Dublin throwing this event with like 100 people. And I've never done anything like that before. But here we go. Yeah. Um, so so it's very much a accelerated learning and responsibility scheme almost. Um, and I love it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, so what we're going to do now is transition into a segment that we're calling the Word Association Game. So Josh, do you want to take it from here? Yep, sure. So Ams, what we'll do is we'll give you 10 random words and then as quick as you can, one or two seconds, just give us the first word back that um, you can think of relating to that word. Okay? Sounds great. Advantage. Disadvantage. <laughs> Approval. Fun. Romance. Interesting. Instagram. Waste of time. Money. Not the end result. Equality. Fairness. Nature. Good. Purpose. The dream. Alcohol. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> Cryptocurrency. Investment. That's it. Thank you. So then. Well, you, you changed the, the first person changed the uh, game up a bit, Ams, because you gave us some words, some sentences to help. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm quite bad at word association. Anyone that's ever been on a night out with me at Loughborough and played a drinking game will know this. <laughs> <laughs> like to bend the rules. <laughs> yeah, very much so. So one that stood out to me was um, probably quite a, a popular uh, cultural opinion now, but the fact Instagram can be a waste of time. Where did that come from? You know, having having spent a lot of time traveling, I ended up building my Instagram quite heftily and investing quite a lot of time into, you know, getting the perfect shot, uploading at the right time with the right caption and the Correct. best hashtags. Um, and very, very quickly, it became what what was a good way to share photos with friends and loved ones became one, a tool to can bench park myself against other people's lives. Um, and two, it became it became almost like a vanity metric. Oh, how many Instagram followers do you have? Like, oh, when was the last time you uploaded? How many likes are you getting on each photo? Um, and I started to obsess about them probably a little bit too much. Um, and so on New Year's Eve, I decided that I was going to delete um, most of my social media for a quarter because now that I'm an adult, I think about life in fiscal quarters <laughs> and so I deleted it and I, what I found was was quite interesting it was very difficult at first um, I would be out doing something and the compulsion to pull out my phone and video it to put up on a story or take a photo to to share with my followers who by the way I know very few of them um, I found that compulsion to be to be quite strange um, and over time what I realized is not having it um, I started to be a little bit more present in 
in moments. Then my first compulsion isn't let me pull out a phone and share it with everyone. It's I'm here and I'm going to live it. And maybe afterwards I'll, I can, you know, take a photo or whatever. But I now got to the end, you know, the quarter ends in about seven days. Um, and I don't think I'm going to to bring it back. Um, it's not just Instagram. I made my Twitter private. I heavily debated deleting Facebook. And I think that there is a trend, um, not just among our age, but everyone where social networks know so much about you. Everyone else is on them. There's almost the, the compulsion to be on it um, and invest time in it. Um, I think, in fact, employers now look at it as a red flag if you don't have social media or you don't have any publicly available social information. And I, I, I don't think that that's particularly healthy. And so, yeah, I think that I would like to see more people being less involved in social media to share less and live more. It'd be interesting to get your thoughts. Well, it's interesting you say that because we, the guest that we had last week sort of built her built her profile through Instagram really and a lot of people are doing this now is sort of making careers up for themselves out of these social media platforms so when when it's almost not required but it gives you a big advantage um, by using these social media accounts um, how, how do you sort of combat that so I think there are there are two two ways to use uh, social media and one is um, for you know business benefit and the other one is personal benefit and I think that the the aim is to critically analyze every now and then and it goes back to the point we talked about earlier where you know considered reflection or considered reflection is very very key um, but you know I got to a point where I was using Instagram as like I asked myself what am I using it for um, and the honest answer is oh I want to share my life with other people and make myself look interesting right um, is that bringing me any tangible benefit? Like, sure, it's nice. You meet some new people and they check you out on social media and they think that yeah, you're cool. <laughs> you get a little bit of a dopamine hit or whatever. But does that tangibly add anything to my life? Now, your previous guest uses it for business. Um, and that is, that is okay. I think there are some businesses that use social media really well and there's some that use it really badly, particularly, you know, businesses that paint the story of this perfect world for everybody it's all full of models and designers and all of these things and you gotta ask yourself that social media is also harmful for people's mental health i know this was a theme that came up in one of your your previous conversations um on the podcast and so it goes back to how are you using it what's the purpose um and is what you're actually doing correlating to what you're trying to achieve and in the previous guest case if it's growing the business then yeah that's fine um, in my personal use case, um, it was a little bit more selfish and actually detrimental. And so I decided to cut it out just as an experiment to see what would happen. And I found myself much happier because of it. So talking about the purpose of social media, let's transition to some of the next words. So you spoke about purpose being the dream and also money not being the end result. Let's try and tag those together. because a lot of people tie their whole existence. I mean, money is what you what you live to get through work, purpose probably going more beyond beyond that in terms of this is why i'm here this is my calling things like that so mm. what made you think of those two people get very very confused and I, I had this conversation with one of the guys that i mentor at king's college the other day and i i said to him what do you want to achieve and he said you know i want to be in a well-paying job well respected etc and i was like okay right that's not those are all things that you can have but they're not tangible achievements right there's no you do this people will respect you yeah. No, um, but it's, it's so it's like I think I, I got this from a book I think it was Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week about a year and a half ago and it's like ask yourself 
write down what do you want to have, how do you want to feel, and what do you want to have achieved uh, a year from now. And then, as in your previous podcast, it's like start at the end and work backwards. What do you want to? How much is that going to cost you? If I'm like, I want to travel two times a year, I want to work forty hours a week, I want to own a car, or I want to be able to spend more time with my family. Each of those things has an associated cost, not necessarily fiscal, but opportunity-wise. Um, and you say, okay, right, what needs to happen? And most people, if I said, how much money do you want to have? Most people say, I want to be a millionaire. I want to be a billionaire. <laughs> and in reality, if you write down, what do you actually want in your life, like tangibly, the cost of having that is significantly lower than you might think, especially when you boil it down to how much do I need to earn a month? That's one of the things I experimented with is it's going to cost me several thousand pounds a month in the UK, but it might cost me 500 pounds a month in Asia. And I live that yeah, for a bit. The, the concept of currency arbitrage um, and taking advantage of, you know, different values of different currencies across the world and how much things cost. And so that was something that I, that I toyed around with as well. Um, and so people very, very quickly realized that or think that money is the end goal, but it's what money can buy you that is the end goal. And if you know what it is that you want or the things that you want to have, you can sit there and reflect on it and say, actually, this might change how I want to live my life. And it's also worth noting that with more money, a job that pays you more money, you usually have more responsibility, more responsibility, more people relying on you. And so your life is inherently more stressful. And I think that there is research that shows the difference in happiness level between people that own 70,000 pounds and 700,000 pounds is minimal. In fact, I was talking to the partner of the KPMG event yesterday, and he said, I have investments that, you know, boil up to the low millions. But becoming a partner in, in KPMG was, was a step up, but it's also you move up the, the ladder, but you're now on a lower rung of a much bigger ladder. Your friends now have multiple houses, multiple yeah. cars, and you're at the bottom of that. And you realize that without killing yourself, that's where you're always going to be. Yeah. You're going to be at the bottom of that group. And so it's not necessarily better to earn more. Right. Okay. So I think we're ready now to move on to some questions from the internet. Josh, you've got a Reddit thread. Yeah. So I'm just going to uh, paraphrase, but in this section, we basically take um, one or two comments um, from a Reddit self-improvement forum mm -hmm. where users go on there and basically say their problems to some other users and we try and help them out. So this first one is by a user called Loquacious Ocean. And in summary, they've said, my low self-esteem is affecting my relationship and job search. I don't think I'm qualified to apply to jobs because someone is always better or probably wants it more. And my boyfriend is smarter than me and I take my insecurities out on him. And this person is in their early 20s. What advice would you uh, give based on that short little snippet there? I think there are several things going on there. The first, I think there's, there's a lot of comparison going on. Like you, you talk about, um, or they talk about how they compare themselves to their boyfriend, or they don't think they're qualified because they're comparing themselves to maybe other people that might be applying for these jobs, or at least they think of the people. And I think comparison is the thief of joy. I think it was Einstein that famously said, if, you, if a fish compares itself or compares it or judges itself based on its ability to climb a tree it's always going to think yeah. of itself uh, as a lesser being or, or something along that line so i mean the first thing is everyone lives life at their own pace what's good for me is not good for someone else and you might find that 
going back to drawing on my own life experiences, someone that works at KPMG, they might find that a fantastic job. But for me, it, that's not necessarily the thing. Um, and I would almost have gone to work at Subway instead. Um, the second thing is don't let anyone tell you that you're good enough to do something or not do something. In this case, the, I, I would assume that their comparison in saying, oh, I'm not qualified to do this job. There are better people out there than me is almost inherently a assumption rather than a statement of fact. Um, and it's something that I've been working on very recently. It's like, what are my assumptions towards situations? I and mean, how often do those assumptions turn out to be true? And so what I would say to this person is do the things that you're not ready for. The worst case scenario is you don't get them. But if you don't get them, seek feedback and implement that feedback. Always, it doesn't necessarily need to be a straight line, but as long as you're getting those feedback points and adjusting the sales along the way, magical things will happen. I think you're absolutely right. Most of the time, the things that's holding people back is their own limiting beliefs rather than actual matter of facts. Exactly. And it, it goes back to those who think that they can and those who think that they can't are both usually correct. Um, mindset is so, so important from taking you anywhere in life. Fantastic. So moving on to the final part of the show, then we have the question from Charlie from last episode. So um, do you have one point in your life that has helped you to become self-aware? So one point or one experience and what, what is it? Okay, so I'm going to do what I did earlier and slightly break the rules here. I think that's a fantastic question, actually. And I'm going to pick on, on two points, both of which hopefully will, will be practical advice to anyone listening. Um, the first thing and something that's given me an insane and disproportionate amount of value over the year um, is the act of mindfulness meditation. Sitting there, clearing your mind and being able to separate yourself from your thoughts um, has been so, so useful, both from a self-awareness point of view, um, understanding how I'm thinking, what I'm thinking, what the root causes of those things are, um, but also fantastic for mental health, being more present in the moment and, and really understanding myself. Um, the second part to that um, is something that I'm working on at the moment through NEF. I get an executive coach, this fantastic woman called Meg Pippin, and she is working with me to constantly, and it's something I said earlier, constantly understand and question my assumptions being in a situation feeling about something what my immediate response to a situation is asking myself before i do any of that what assumptions am i making here and the act of slowing down and considering what those assumptions are leads to a lot of self-awareness for example if something happens and your immediate response is i'm quite angry about this ask where does that anger come from? What are my assumptions relating to it? If someone has done something to slight me, my assumption is that they did it on purpose and that's where the anger comes from. Is that necessarily true? Um, so slowing down and, and really thinking about what are my underlying assumptions and then meditating on that a little bit um, has been so valuable for self-awareness. To those who don't do either of those things, I thoroughly recommend it in terms of mindfulness meditation. If you're a student, um, you can get Headspace and Spotify Premium. I think it's for like five quid. Um, so great bang for your buck there thoroughly recommend not affiliated with them at all but something that has been very <laughs> very useful for me yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah that, that would have to be my answer to the question so very emotionally driven self-awareness then yeah yeah um, and being able to separate yourself from life a little bit being able to understand where you end 
as a person and where your circumstance begins. Amazing. So now you get your chance to ask the next guest a question. So what question do you have that you would like to ask? So I think there is always a lot of talk from inspirational people about things that went right. How did they end up how they are? What, what needed to happen? Um, and often it's a, it's a byproduct of skill and luck. But what is particularly interesting to me is what went wrong. So my question is, what is the biggest mistake and or regret that you have? And what have you learned from it? Fantastic. An excellent question. I can't wait to hear the answer to that one. So thank you very much for joining us for this episode of 2% Podcast and catch you next time. Thanks for having me. Take care. Well, that's it for another episode of the 2% Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording. If you or someone you know has a story to tell, we'd love to hear from you. So please get in touch. Also, we're developing too. So if you liked the episode, Give us some love on social to support the series. And if you didn't, let us know how to improve. Stay motivated, follow your dreams, and as always, do it with a smile.